0: This is Find Your Dream Job, the podcast that helps you get hired, have the career you want, and make a difference in life. I'm Mac Pritchard, your host and publisher of MaxList. Our show is brought to you by MaxList and our book, Land Your Dream Job in Portland and Beyond. To learn more about the book and the updated edition that we're publishing in February, visit maxlist.org ebook. Thanks for joining us today. This week on Find Your Dream Job, we're talking about how to work with an employer's human resources department. You may want a gig with a cool corporation like Nike, Google, or Apple, perhaps you've targeted a big government agency or a nonprofit, or maybe your goal is to land a job with a small employer. Wherever you're going, one day you will send your resume to a human resources or HR department. Many employers rely on human resources staff to advertise, accept, and screen all job applications. Before you get to see a hiring manager, you may have an interview with someone in human resources. So, Should you try to go around the Human Resources office and talk to a hiring manager directly? And what do you do if the HR people never call you back? This week, we'll talk about these and other questions with longtime Human Resources Insider, Melissa Ansman. She'll share her secrets for what you need to do when working with an HR department. But first, let's start as we do every week by checking in with the MaxList team, Ben Forstag and Cecilia Bianco. How are you two doing this week? I'm doing good, Mac. Doing really good. All right. It's good to see you both. Now, in your careers, have you two applied for jobs through human resources departments? And and what happened next, if you did?
1: So I remember back before email when uh, sometimes on job listings, they would say, hand deliver your resume and cover letter to the human resources department. So I remember a really cold winter afternoon in Cleveland, Ohio, where I went downtown, went into a big office building to drop off a resume, and I got to the human resources department. And no one was there. The door was open. There was a counter. The lights were on. But like no one would respond when I was asking, like, hello, anyone here? And so I ended up just leaving my resume on the counter and, and walking out.
0: And you didn't write at the top, uh, one we must interview?
1: <laughs> that would have probably gotten me better results than okay. I got. The results I did get were uh, no one ever called me back.
0: Oh. Well, that sounds like a pretty lonely place.
1: Yeah, maybe it was good that I missed that opportunity. Uh, how about you, Cecilia?
2: Um, yeah, I've done some online applications to HR departments, but I've never really heard back from them, and I never get contact back until I track down a hiring manager on LinkedIn or however you can find them.
0: Yeah, I, I've had the most success with hiring managers. I, As Ben was telling his story, a memory that came to mind was going downtown before a deadline on a Friday afternoon and dropping off my application, and they... and. It was at the reception desk, and the receptionist had two large boxes, and they were filled with dozens of resumes and and packets, and I never heard back from them either. (laughs) Uh, Was
1: one box labeled yes and the other
0: one labeled no? (laughs) No, they were kind enough to wait until the doors were closed to to do the sorting. So, uh, we'll we'll talk about human resources departments because there are ways you can work with them effectively, And, and Melissa, knows how to do that and she's going to be sharing that with us but first let's turn to you ben uh every week you're sharing with us uh, different resources you found and what have you located this week on the internet
1: today we're going to be talking about the website glassdoor.com Now, I know we mentioned this in passing last week, but I think this resource deserves a little bit more attention, so we're gonna spend a few minutes just chatting about it. Mac and Cecilia, have you guys ever used glassdoor.com in your own job search or for some other research purpose?
2: Yeah, I actually look at it all the time, sometimes to see what employers are posting on MaxList and making sure they're legitimate, and it's just a great resource overall to find out about your local job market.
0: I've looked at it too. As part of my research to figure out what are good salary ranges for the Portland market, as as you know, we, in addition to MaxList, I run a public relations company, and I want to make sure that I'm offering the best and most competitive salaries I can, and uh, Glassdoor is a great way of helping to determine that.
1: Sure. So, like many things, Glassdoor has its pros and its cons, and so I want to sort my conversation today around the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good thing about Glassdoor.com is this is an opportunity to get a sneak peek inside the culture, the salaries, the benefit plans, and the general office environment in lots of different companies. So you can go onto the site, you type in a company name, you type in a city, and it spits out a lot of information about what people are getting paid at the organization in general terms, um, whether they like their office environment, whether they would recommend the job to a friend or a colleague, and so forth. Um, You can see the salary ranges for different job titles, both nationally and specific to your city, because as we know, the same job title could have vastly different salaries in New York City versus Portland, for example. You can learn about the hiring procedures through people who have been interviewed, find out what the interview process looked like in terms of, was it a phone interview? Was it in person? Were they grilling you with real hard questions? Or was it a get-to-know-you kind of process? And you can find out how candidates were recruited, whether it was through uh, sending in an application online or they're recruited by a recruiter or at a job fair and so forth. That last piece is really important because if you wanna work for an organization like Nike, for example, you might find that sending in an application through their HR system is really not the best way to get a job there. The best way is through a job fair or to talk to a recruiter. And even if you're not looking for a job, you can use the salary tool to see what other people with your job title are getting paid. And as we just mentioned, this is really valuable if you're looking to negotiate for a starting salary or for a pay raise. You can show what your comparables are and say, this is what the market rate is. And Mac, you just mentioned using those comparables to set salary ranges. So it sounds like this is something that you're familiar with job seekers doing.
0: It is. And I and employers, as I mentioned earlier, look at it too, because you... Uh, When you're hiring staff and you want to keep people on board, the old rule is true. You get what you pay for, and you want to make sure that you're offering the most competitive wages and salaries you can. And doing this kind of research will help you do that.
1: So that was the good part. Now we're going to be talking about the bad part. Okay. So, Glassdoor.com, it really works best for larger organizations, and it's not much help if you're applying to a small organization with just a handful of employees. So, I took the liberty of looking up Max List. We're not on there. <laughs> I looked up Pritchard Communications, your other firm, Mac. They're not on there. Okay. But you know, Nike's on there, Intel's on there, a lot of big Portland firms and firms all around the country and the world are there. The reason for this is because all the data they have is submitted by actual employees or former employees. So the larger your workforce, the more likely you're gonna have people submitting information about you online. Also, Glassdoor is not great for nonprofit organizations. I looked up several nonprofits that I've worked with and only one of them was listed there. And so if you're looking for nonprofit backgrounds, Probably a better place to start would be on the 990 forms that you can find on places like Charity Navigator. That's how you would find out what the executive director is being paid, what other high-level executives are being paid within organizations.
0: Why do you think that's so, Ben? Is it a reflection of the size of many nonprofits? Is that why we're not seeing them pop up on a site?
1: I'm guessing so. A vast majority of nonprofit organizations are pretty small. We're talking less than five employees. And so... The same rule that applied to the for profits, the more employees you have, the more likely you're going to have reviews online. It applies for nonprofits as well. Much of the data, as I mentioned, is provided by current and former employees. So the data tends to be a little bit skewed, either very positive or very and not a whole lot right in the middle. So are you ready for the ugly? Mm
2: -hmm. Sure.
1: (laughs) Okay, the ugly is if you spend too much time on Glassdoor, you start finding that some of the reviews are very, very negative and people really slamming their former boss or the former organization. They had a bad experience at a company, and so they just want to take revenge. And all the reviews are anonymous, so people feel that they can go out and just write whatever they want. Now, one organization that I worked with in the past was listed there, and it was a small organization, and there was a very negative review of that organization, and there was enough data in this anonymous review that I knew who wrote it. <laughs> so I would suggest if you have something negative to say think twice before you write anything on glassdoor.com especially if you work in a real small organization you don't want to burn bridges if you don't need to and if someone could identify you through any information you leave on that site that really destroys any kind of professional credibility you have moving forward Um, and certainly you can't use that organization as a reference anymore so that's the good the bad and the ugly of glassdoor.com
0: Thank you, Ben. Do you have a suggestion for Ben? Write him and we may share your idea on the show. His email address is ben at maxlist.org. Now it's time to hear from Cecilia Bianco, our community manager, and Cecilia is in touch with you, our listeners, throughout the week, and she joins us to answer one of your questions. Cecilia, what do you have for us this week? What's the question of the week?
2: Thanks, Mac. Our question is, how should I prepare to negotiate my salary? The main piece of advice I have for this is to do your research and go into a negotiation extremely prepared and knowledgeable. Ben's resource this week is actually a great place to start. Glassdoor, salary.com, and other websites like these allow you to see what other people in your role are making so you can compare your offer to the local market and see how it matches up. As Ben mentioned, you can search nationally and locally, so always try to narrow it down to salaries specific to your city. Sometimes they don't have enough information to provide an average, but it's still a good practice to always check. And then an easy way to get good local information is to ask your peers, family, friends, really anyone you're comfortable discussing this with in your professional network, and that can help confirm or support your online research too. So Ben and Mac, I'm curious if you've used research like this when you've negotiated in past jobs. Well, I have to say, as,
0: as the two of you speak, I'm just reflecting on the fact that you both have anniversaries coming up after the holidays. <laughs> Speaking of which, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> so as your employer, uh, I better check out these sites and get ready for those meetings um, after the Christmas holidays. Uh, but but seriously, I and I am serious about that, I have used uh, uh, research like this in negotiating with, with – um, with employees, or or when I've uh, had jobs myself and have approached employers, it's good to have the facts in your, in your corner uh, when you're making the case for either a higher salary for starting a position or for an annual adjustment. How about you, Ben?
1: I haven't. I wish I had this data like three or four years ago. When I moved from Washington, D.C. to Portland, I really struggled because I got a job offer But because the cost of living is so different between those two cities, it was really hard for me to evaluate what my value was. So I was making one amount in D.C. and for the comparable job in Portland, the job offer said the value was significantly less than what I was making in D.C. And I just didn't have the data behind me to justify whether that was a good offer or a bad offer.
2: Yeah, definitely. So it's really important to know the local market. And then beyond that, um, I think it's important to think about the job you're negotiating for specifically. So reflect on how competitive the applicant pool was and if the employer has been hiring for the position for a long time. So basically, the harder it was for the employer to find you and hire you for the job, the more negotiating power you're going to have. I know negotiating can feel really uncomfortable, but it's important to get paid what you believe you deserve. So just prepare yourself to really make it easier because the more prepared you are, the more confident and ease you're gonna feel when you start negotiations. Mac, from your point of view as an employer, what types of research or negotiation tactics do you feel are effective? I always find it
0: persuasive when someone shows me data for salaries for comparable positions in the local market. And it could come from the websites that, that you cited. I also hear from readers all the time that uh, they often look at Maxwells not because they're looking for work, but they're curious to know what jobs like theirs are paying. And so visit websites and, and job boards to pull those kinds of figures, and I think you'll, you'll be much more effective in making your case. Something else I want to say about negotiating salaries, there's research that out there that shows that men are more likely to ask for higher salaries and, and when they are negotiating for a job for the first time or for raises than women. And I think the employers expect to hear those requests. So I encourage you know, whatever your gender, do your homework, take some time to study negotiating techniques, and it'll pay off because once you're in a job, you're setting a base, a foundation that will likely be that uh, a base for several years that uh, on which annual increases will be made. So don't be afraid to, to be assertive.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that one thing we commonly see is that people undervalue what they bring to the table, especially after a long job search, or they're just afraid mm-hmm. to miss out on an opportunity because of what they want to be paid. But really, as Mac just said, it's better to talk it through in negotiations with an employer rather than accept the job at a salary that's going to make you feel undervalued through each raise because you're not going to get a 20% raise ever, likely. So it's better to do it when you're just starting. And the worst that can happen is that they say no and you have to compromise. Don't forget that you can also negotiate for better benefits if the salary you want is really just out of reach. Mac and Ben anything to add any last tips
0: I I think you any candidate is that they're most attractive to an employer when there's an offer on the table and that's the time to as you say don't be afraid to ask the worst thing you're going to hear is no but the uh, if you don't ask you you won't get it
2: yeah, that's true. And if you're interested in more tips on figuring out how to talk about your value to an employer, you'll find several blog posts on MaxList if you search for salary negotiation.
0: Well, thanks, Cecilia. If you have a question for Cecilia, you can email her. Her email address is cecilia at maxlist.org. These segments by Ben and Cecilia are sponsored by the 2016 edition of Land Your Dream Job in Portland and Beyond. We're making the complete MaxList guide even better adding new content and making the book available on multiple e-reader platforms. When we launch the revised version in February you'll be able to access land Your dream job in Portland and beyond on your Kindle, Nook iPad and other digital devices. You'll also be able to order a paperback edition. Whatever the format our goal is the same to give you the tools and tips you need to get meaningful work. For more information visit maxlist.org/ ebook and sign up for our ebook newsletter. We'll send you publication updates, Share exclusive book content and provide you with special pre sale prices. Now let's turn to our expert guest, Melissa Ansman. Melissa is a certified executive coach who helps people get on the right career track and enjoy success in the workplace. She's worked with hundreds of people to grow their careers to the next level. Before starting LaunchYourJob.com, Melissa spent 13 years in the corporate world as a human resource leader. She's also the author of How to Land a Job, Secrets of an HR Insider. Well, Melissa, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Mac. It's always fun chatting with you and your team.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Well, let's turn to our topic today, human resources departments. I have to say, Melissa, when I was doing my homework, I was looking online uh, on this subject and words like guards, gatekeepers, and black hole kept popping up when I was searching under human resources and job hunting. Why? Why do you think human resources departments have that reputation?
3: Yeah, it's definitely one that's unfortunately common, and and not very flattering of a uh, distinction. But human resources departments get a bad rap because they really are. Um, sort of the face of a lot of behind the scenes work and so when you're applying to a job there's one person in HR that you'll talk to usually Um, when you need help with the application another person in HR takes care of it then there's that comp compensation person who does sort of the what your offer will be and so on and so forth and so a lot of times HR gets a bad rap When it comes to the hiring process, because they are the gatekeeper in that they're the first line of defense to get your foot in the door at a company. Um, But as you learned in a previous uh, podcast with Jenny, with Job Jenny, I should say, Jenny Foss, the first step is usually the online application system. And so a lot of times we blame HR, who are people, for things that something a system may have kicked in or kicked out
0: and I'm glad you brought that up because HR departments aren't going away so we, we have to work with them whether we're hiring managers or or applicants so let let's talk about how you do that and what and some effective strategies and let's start how how do you recommend listeners approach an HR department what's a good way of getting started
3: Absolutely. So there is a science to working with HR. And, you know, unfortunately, the science is going to be tweaked a little bit depending on the company and the size and all of that fun stuff. So you know, the, the there's sort of three ways that you can work really well with them in order to get your foot in the door, in order to move along in the hiring process, and so on. Um, the most important one is understanding and realizing your own personal value proposition. So HR, if you sort of put your feet in their shoes, HR gets a ton of resumes, lots of qualified candidates, particularly for super cool, awesome jobs, right? And they're also getting those resumes and applications from people who are cream of the crop, top tier, high potential, great talent. So it's up to you to market yourself and really showcase for them, make it easy for them to say yes to you. Know what value you bring to the table and tell them that early and often and repeatedly during the process.
0: What are some practical ways that people can do that? So I, Absolutely. I'm you know, i an applicant, I'm not afraid to bang my own drum or to toot my own horn rather. Um, how can I do that? I've got to fill out a form. I may not be able to get somebody on the phone What have you, as being on the other side of that door inside an HR department, seen seen work well?
3: So, you know, your resume is your first tool, you know, if you're going to go blind. And I would say the thing on your resume is... I don't want to read a bullet point list of skill sets you have. That doesn't help me as an HR person. What I want to understand, I want to see results driven, metric driven information on your resume of what you've done. So that whole show don't tell me is so important when you're applying. Um, Another way you can do that is how you follow up. And that's sort of the second thing of networking and outreaching, but how you follow up, you have to consistently reinforce your value proposition. This is why you have to meet me before you move any further in the process. If you can convince an HR person to do that, you'll go far along because they are sort of that gatekeeper. And to do that, you just have to showcase who you uniquely are. So it's your approach. It's leveraging all the tools in your toolbox. If you're online, making sure that you're positioning yourself as a subject matter expert in that field. Um, If you're using just a resume, it's super detail-oriented, data-driven, metric-driven information so that the HR person is not guessing your capabilities. And you also have a great platform on LinkedIn LinkedIn allows them to research you, um, whether it's for a first time or they're just looking or they're a sourcer or maybe they're following up on a resume. And you really want that to be a good calling card for you as well.
0: Know your value, document it with metrics, facts, and and figures, and put that in your application. But don't stop there. Look at the other opportunities you have online to make your case uh, through your LinkedIn profile as well as demonstrating your expertise or leadership in a field through blogging or or participating in forums, uh, tactics like that. It, 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 is that step number one?
3: Absolutely, that is that is step number one. And I would just like to say one more thing on that is when you're writing anything that goes towards your value proposition, make sure each sentence answers the question, so what? Why would the resume reader or the HR person care about that sentence or bullet point or metric or whatever that is? And get really tight on your messaging because you're, you're go- you don't have um, you a know, 100 times to make an impression, you really have one. So be super clear and concise and efficient with your words and answer so what every time.
0: Great advice, Melissa. Now, what's the next step? the the, uh, the applications in the online platforms are in good shape what what should an applicant be doing next to, to connect with HR and get beyond them and in front of the hiring manager
3: yeah so the second step is one that I personally dreaded for a long time myself and it's it's kind of the t- tried and true um step, but it's about networking and outreach. And I think the word networking in this instance is a terrible fit because what you have to do is you kind of have to pursue um, or make some outreach or try and get on a first date essentially, right? You're trying mm-hmm. to get this HR person interested enough in you that they want to date you, that they'll ask you out. And so to do that, you don't just Send an email to someone, although now you probably do less than that, right, with all the apps out there. But um, when you're talking about work, you have to follow up. And I don't mean you send an email to the careers at entercompanyname.com website. You spend, it takes 10 minutes or so um, on LinkedIn and Google to find the email address of a hiring manager or find the email address of the recruiter. And you send them a note and you express your interest. You think about your value proposition and you show it to them in your email, super short and sweet let them have their contact information. You've sort of opened the door for a first date.
0: So and- Melissa, I just want to pause there because I can imagine some listeners saying, okay, all I have is careers at careersatmydreamcompany.com. How do I find the name of the, career, of the recruiter or the hiring manager? Because I, I can figure out how to get their email address once I know the name, but what, what's the secret to getting that name?
3: Yeah, I mean, getting the name is hard, and I have some suggestions on a post um, that you're, you can definitely include in the show notes, Mac. But essentially, you have to think like a researcher here. This is kind of a skill that went to the way – I'm going to sound really old now – went to the wayside <laughs> with the Internet and Google. Um, but, you know, you need to do your research, and that's about – searching for the company here's how I do it on LinkedIn I'll search for the company and I'll put sort of the company and the department that I'm interested in or the department and recruiter and then you'll see a list of names that pop up right that fit that thing and you want to filter it down to current etc etc but then when you start looking at profiles LinkedIn gives you some suggestions on the right hand side. And so I tend to find the suggestions to be super helpful because um, good recruiters in particular usually have there I focus on this area at this company so you can usually find pretty easily um, the recruiter's name by just narrowing it down on LinkedIn in that regard
0: good so that's step number two you've you've found the the person you want to connect with you've thought about ways to n- network with them and and reach out to them directly and and make that case w- what do you do next Melissa
3: so the, the next thing is something that people forget. I like just completely forget. And that's really understanding and knowing your audience. So not all people on the hiring process timeline or the candidate experience are created equal. So when you're dealing with a front line, so the first point of contact, recruiter, they don't know details about the job you're trying to do. And what I mean by that is they don't know the nitty gritty details of the technical aspects of your role. They have 50, 60, I don't know, hundreds sometimes at some companies of requisitions open across their table and their expertise is to recruit not to know your department. And so when you talk to them, they are looking for culture fit, your personality, They're trying to understand if you have the basic skills for the role, so you're using the right jargon and words that describe the position um, as someone else has described it to them. They are not at all interested in knowing about these super nitty gritty details that make no sense to anybody outside your industry or your position, much less, during that process. And so as soon as you start talking to that person around things that make no sense to them, you've lost them. They're already tuning out.
0: Okay. So technical skills matter, but save that for your conversation with a hiring manager. And I, I just want to clarify, Melissa, when we're talking about recruiters, we're talking about people within an HR department. Uh, who are tasked or whose job it is to recruit people for that company. We're not talking about headhunters who might be under contract out, uh, working outside the company.
3: Absolutely. Sorry for that. Yeah. yeah. When I say recruiter, it's always that internal resource within HR that's responsible for getting people in the door for the role. Okay.
0: Now, I'm, I'm often asked, uh, uh, what about just bypassing HR altogether? Uh, I think sometimes people think if I could just get, uh, be, uh, go around the HR department and get in front of the hiring manager, all my problems would be solved. What, what's your reaction to that?
3: It's hard. You know, there isn't a one size fits all there. I would say be very careful if you do that, right? Because you're not going to be creating any friends or anything of that regard to do that. Also, at most companies, particularly, you know, in um, different states and just sort of what state laws are and all of that fun stuff, you do have to go through the official hiring process to get an offer, and so I, I, am all for you making that first connection, that first, um, you know, introduction, that first outreach, whatever it is, with the hiring manager directly but you should also instantly get on the right train. And what I mean by that is get onto the process that the company wants you to go through. And if you're a great candidate and you're sort of someone that that person, the hiring manager loves anyway, it's gonna make no difference other than the fact that you're gonna actually walk into a company with friends instead of having HR as an enemy. Okay.
0: I also hear from people who ask me, what can I do after I've applied for a job and, and I get a rejection letter from HR, should I call the human resources department? Should I still try to reach out to the hiring manager? What options do people have at that, at that point in the
3: process? Well, I think it depends on how far along in the process you got. So if you just applied and got a, an uh, auto-generated email or even a personal email saying, you know, thank you for your application, we're going in a different direction, that's where the conversation should end. Um, there's nothing you can glean from it. You, maybe it was an internal candidate that they hired. Maybe you were too late in the process. I mean, there's just so many things and they're not going to tell you. So, so that would be that case. If you're further along, like let's say you've been interviewing with them, you've you know seen somebody in person or you've talked to someone in person. Um, I don't really recommend that you continue the conversation unless something odd happened. You know, and Kate, like maybe... Maybe you're just sort of not feeling like you got closure or an answer or something like that. That would be the only case where I would say continue. But usually, um, you know, they are restricted by some laws to tell you what went wrong in the interview process, right? So they are going to be very careful if you ask them that question. Um, And they're not really apt to helping you improve your interviewing skills going forward unless you created a good rapport with that recruiter. Okay.
0: Okay. Now, if you are invited in for an interview, uh, often you start with the human resources department and then uh, advance on to a conversation with a hiring manager. Are th- those two different conversations and should people prepare for them in different ways?
3: Absolutely. They are night and day different conversations, or they should be. So if they're not, you're you know take a step back and re- level set yourself going forward. So when you're interviewing with HR, they are really, you need to talk about you and yourself and your personality and your strengths, um, that kind of focus. Really high level, I'm a fit for this organization. When you move to a conversation with the hiring manager, they're thinking about different things. They want to know, can you do the job? They're going to ask themselves what a pain or not pain you will be to manage, and I know I'm not supposed to say that, but it's true, right? <laughs> when we're when we're <laughs> trying to hire someone, we're like, how much work is this going to be for me? Um, so you wanna you wanna make sure your conversations are geared in that regard, and they also want to understand. Um, you know, more about you as a person, what makes you tick, what motivates you if you would fit on the team that's already there, as well as those technical skills. So it's a very different conversation with the hiring manager than it should be with HR.
0: And what's the best way to follow up on those separate conversations?
3: I always believe in a thank you note. Um, so I have a little template on my site, which, again, feel free to include of when to send an email thank you versus when to send an actual thank you note and when in the process. Um, but anytime you talk to or meet with somebody, you absolutely need to follow up. Um, email is a little bit more instantaneous. so. That, that's great for a lot of different situations, um, but there are definitely some levels and some roles that you want to write an actual handwritten thank you note.
0: We'll be sure to include a a link to that uh, page in the show notes. What uh, we're coming to the close of our interview, Melissa. What are some other things that our listeners should think about? Or yeah,
3: I would just say you know when you're interviewing, we have a tendency as we're very nervous in an interview to ramble on, and to you can it's a skill you can absolutely learn and get better at. And so I always recommend that you practice what I call stars, and that's a pretty typical term, but it means everything that you answer. Every single answer in an interview conversation can be framed around a specific situation or task, the action that you took, and the result to the company for it. And so that's only three sentences if you want to be super efficient to get your point across. And by doing so, not only are you adding a lot of value to the conversation and making that HR person or the hiring manager love you because they know you know what you're doing, but you're also keeping them engaged in the conversation, which has a lot sort of a lot longer of a tail for your winning, I guess, (laughs) through the process, through your success through the process, I should say.
0: That's terrific, Melissa. And I know that we've been talking about human resource departments, but how would you you have different advice if an agency doesn't have an HR department, um, uh, particularly smaller employers? Are there things that are, that would be appropriate to do that you haven't described here?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think when when an organization is smaller and don't have the HR resources, usually the hiring manager or you know someone else is managing the process. So you're almost cutting out a middleman a lot of the time, um, which is great. Which is in the favor of the candidate every single time so instead of following up with hr go directly to the person that you should be working with um, and or outreach directly to the hiring manager um, because you have that opportunity so i would still say make sure you know your audience in the interview process so it may not be an hr person but maybe you're meeting with a finance person who's going to care a lot about a lot of different things than your hiring manager Uh, So just keep that in mind, but it will play out a little differently um, by cutting out a middleman.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Melissa. You can find Melissa online at launchyourjob.com. You can also buy her book, How to Land a Job, Secrets of an HR Insider, at her website and on amazon.com. And we'll be sure to include links to your website and your book uh, in the show notes. So thank you again, Melissa, for joining us.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Mac.
0: We're back with Ben and Cecilia. Uh, so what did you two think? What were some of the most important points you heard Melissa make?
2: I got a lot out of that. I think she has really an inside view that we don't hear a lot, particularly about not going around HR, because sometimes we hear it's a lot easier to if you can get straight to the hiring manager, but clearly that will do more harm than good in the end if you get the job. So I thought that was a really important tip.
1: I like that she outlined the process to work with them because I think in my perspective it's always been like if you send your job application to careers at it is the black hole and nothing's going to happen to it and so I've just stopped doing that in my own job searches but it does sound like there's a process and that if you follow the right steps you can get some traction going through HR.
0: Yeah I, I think that's an important point and that to know the process and there's a leadership talk I I attended once at a conference and the one thing I remember from it was it was delivered by a retired U.S. Naval officer and he said learn the system and make the system work for you and so uh, having that insider perspective Cecilia I I agree is really important and Mm -hmm. knowing that process and doing the homework to uncover it and understand it can pay benefits for you down the line Well, good. Well, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more tools and tips you can use to find your dream job. In the meantime, visit us at maxlist.org and you can sign up for our free newsletter there and you'll find more than 100 new jobs every week. And if you like what you hear on our show, please help us by leaving a review and rating at iTunes. Uh, This will help others discover our show and, and help us reach more job seekers. Thank you for listening.